The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. More willpower than a barefoot woman at a shoe sale. Able to stretch a single paycheck for an entire month. Makes money concepts easier than third grade math. Introducing your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonall. Work all day, stress all night. Take your mind off your money and focus on your life. Money don't matter for the stuff it bought. It's the way you think, not what you've got, yeah. Unlock Your Wealth Radio starts now. Get your money mind right here. Heather Wagon Hall's in the house. <laughs> can we like a go-go beat? Like, you know, from Run DMC in the 80s. You know, can you go that far back? Oh boy. I don't want to I don't want to embarrass myself on, on live radio. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we'll spare you this time. That is the Maestro of Moolah, Michael Terry, flanking me today as we bring you a fabulous two-part series on today's key, which is remember real estate. We got all kind of good stuff in store for you here at Unlock Your Wealth Radio, where listeners go to get their money mind right so their wealth and happiness will follow. I'm Heather Wagonhalls here in the saddle. And I'm making success simple for people just like you who want to overcome their personal and professional challenges to get out of debt, to create financial freedom and live the life of your dreams right now, today. And one of the ways that we do this is with our fabulous sponsor, audible.com. Do you know what I'm talking about, Miguel? I do. Yes, free, it would be free books. Free that books. would be correct. So for those of you unlock your wealth radio listeners, Audible has an amazing free trial for you because you are a listener of Unlock Your Wealth Radio. All you have to do to get your free audiobook is visit audibletrial.com forward slash unlock your wealth and you can receive a free audiobook on me gratis just for participating in today's show by lending me your ears and allowing me to wax poetic about money management. Nice. Why, thank you. I like it. So we have an incredible show for you today. We've got an interesting moolah word of the day. It's worldwide. Do you remember that from Step Brothers? No. Prestige. No. Worldwide. What was Step Brothers? What? Elma, is Elma fun in the house? Uh, So Step Brothers was that movie with Will Ferrell and that other guy from Talladega Nights that he always has in his movies. Step Brothers, you didn't see Step Brothers? That really famous lady like played the mom of one of them and she marries the dad of the other kid and... They're like adults, but they do bunk beds and comedian, is this comedian er, kind is of this things. Early, early Farrell, Ron Burgundy, after Ron Burgundy, or before? Oh, I don't know timelines, but it would be of that like time when he was spitting out a ton of movies. Yeah. I'll say that. I can't remember when it was after. I, I, I remember meeting him at um, Talladega for their mm. like uh, when they did the movie thing. Um, uh-huh. But other than that, that's all I could tell you. That's all I have. But anyway, so he, worldwide is our hint for our moolah word of the day. Hmm. Uh, Tell us about the key, Miguel. Uh, Remember real estate. Yes. (laughs) Even though I said that at the beginning, I thought that would be funny because I like the way you say that. Yeah. 
some cleverness, some some intellectual. I, I don't, I don't know, know where that comes from either. Remember, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's like it's. I can't pin it down <laughs> to a particular voice or, or movie or anything as a reference. But regardless, we have a two part series. If you missed our Facebook Live, that's okay because we are going to reprise the interview, and it was so big and so great. Miguel made two shows out of it. That's how awesome yeah. it is. So we're going to do part one this week with our guest, Scott Rydenback from Rydenback and Associates, is going to be here to talk real estate as an investment and some challenges you might have as a landlord. We, get, we went all over the place, didn't we? We did. We, in that interview. So we're going to reprise the first part of it. Uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit about remember real estate as the key. Uh, this week's Facebook Live was awesome. Because I did it live and I did it from a location, uh, not an undisclosed location in a third world country, mind you, but one of my real estate investment properties. We actually broadcasted from the backyard. And amazingly enough, my microphone was pretty awesome because it totally didn't pick up any of the construction noises that were going oh, on, which was nice. pretty awesome. Yeah. So we talked about the uh, four layers of risk, what's involved in real estate investment. And uh, I've got a new workshop coming up. So next week, we have the Create Credit Workshop, as well as our um, is uh, is homeownership the right real estate investment vehicle for you. So this week's key is all about understanding what it takes to be a real estate investor so you can start molding and shaping your income and your credit profile that we learned about the week before on creating the right investor profile for you with credit and savings and investments. All right. So, you know, we talked about the four layers of risk in this show. And we also talked about what goes into an underwriting determination and what is the ideal credit and investor profile that you need to achieve to start leveraging the power of real estate to build your wealth. So if you'd like to visit Facebook.com forward slash Unlock Your Wealth Radio. You'll be able to catch the show in its entirety for our Unlock Your Wealth Live. And we did it on location. So you will really enjoy understanding what the ideal investor profile is. And join me. I think I can't think it now because it's so late in the day. My head's killing me. But um uh, we have a real estate investment seminar coming up. I'm going to do a little Q&A workshop, a little webinar for all of you. So if you want to, uh, on Workshop Wednesdays, I don't think it's next week. I think it's the week after because I think next week is Create Credit. And I'm sorry for not having my calendar here. So we're going to do another real estate workshop because you might be closer to real estate investment, closer than you think. So we're going to talk about that. But we'll have more of a discussion about real estate with this week's guest. Moolah word of the day. Mm, bring it on. Globalization. Oh, worldwide. <laughs> worldwide. Of course. Yeah, so it's interesting because there's two camps or two schools of thought regarding this, so I thought I'd bring this to your attention. So globalization is the name for the process of increasing the connectivity and interdependence of the world's markets and businesses. So so you know what dependence is, where somebody like needs somebody else for their existence. Sure. Um, independence is you don't need anybody else. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about interdependence, we're talking about cooperative efforts. I could do this alone, but it's better together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got it. So there's two schools of thoughts, but the process of globalization 
globalization has sped up dramatically in the last few decades as technological advances make it easier for people to travel, communicate, and do business internationally. Two major driving forces are advances in telecommunications infrastructure and the growth of the internet. In general, as economies become more connected to other economies, they have increased opportunity but also increased competition. Thus, as globalization becomes more and more of a common feature in world economics, powerful pro-globalization and anti-globalization lobbies have arisen. So let's talk about the pros, all right? The pro lobby argues that globalization brings about much increased opportunities for almost everyone and increased competition is a good thing since it makes agents of production more efficient. And I agree with that. Uh, So the anti-globalization group argues that certain groups of people who are deprived in terms of resources are not currently capable of functioning within the increased competitive pressure that will be brought about by allowing their countries to become more connected to the rest of the world. But, you know, it just it doesn't make sense. Think about the emerging middle class China has because of its ability to be interdependent on other countries for their manufacturing and outsourcing. You know, think about India. You know, India has tons of white collar jobs. We think of it as an impoverished country. But think about all the people in India that actually have college degrees, you know, and and this is where we move our call call centers because the people do have, you know, English as a native language Uh and they're intelligent. They're educated. I mean, the Indians educate their people. So, you know, this has brought about middle classes in these countries that were impoverished that didn't have a middle class. So. I have a hard time empathizing with the anti-globalization people because, you know, and I think about tariffs and all that's going on right now, and I don't want to get into a big discussion about that right now before our guest shows up. But uh, suffice it to say that when we talk about, um, you know, tariffs and stuff, you know, it's inefficient for us to manufacture a T-shirt here that it would be to outsource it to another country. Because if you are truly impoverished, do you want to pay $5 for a T-shirt to stay warm and presentable? Or would you rather spend 55 because it was made in America? I mean, it's the, I mean, that's the argument that we have to address. Yeah, a, and so that's, you know, so that's that's the challenges we have. And globalization isn't going to be solved on this radio show today, so... But I just wanted to give it to you as food yeah. for thought. Yeah, and it seems that the tariff concept would be anti-free free, tri- free market. You know, um, it is because yeah. it's isolationist. Yeah, so, so you know, you so know me and my liberty exactly, loving ways. Exactly. <laughs> so we know I'm where you stand heavy. on tariffs, honey. Yes, I do. So they're inherently bad, but right. you know, but that's a that's a discussion for another, another day, show. another show, something else. But let's bring in our reprise interview of Scott Rydenbach. So um, Scott Rydenbach is an attorney and founding principal of Rydenbach and Associates, and his firm specializes in real estate as well as estate planning and is a certified expert in the court of law in construction and homeowners associations. Rydenbach and Associates also represents the nation's largest home builder and has worked with hundreds of planned communities. And today, he's going. We're going to have our reprise interview from our Unlock Your Wealth live special that we did with him, and this is the first of two parts. So, um, if you have questions about homeowners associations, about landlord tenant laws, if you thought about investing 
in real estate and investment real estate, non-owner occupied stuff, then this is the show to listen to this two part series because we went all over the place when it comes to these types of things. But what you want to do is look for the things that you're trying to avoid. And as Scott shares with us on this two part special, exactly the things that people don't think about when looking at or considering investment properties and what we need to do to protect ourselves to mitigate the risks associated with real estate investment. So let's begin our reprise interview with Scott Rydenback of Rydenback and Associates. Welcome to the show, Scott. It's so great to have you participate in this big Unlock Your Wealth Live special. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Heather. I appreciate it. So we're um, we're a real estate law firm based in Wayne, Pennsylvania, which is a Philadelphia suburb. And we do pretty much anything real estate related. So we do everything from when a person is looking to buy a property as an investment or current property owners that want to uh, renovate or remodel their house, buy a property, sell a property, subdivide land. And also when problems arise in a transaction or with a, a developer or contractor, we get involved in litigation against builders, contractors, and developers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the that's the the sad part about real estate as an investment when you have the legal challenges. But there are kind of ways to mitigate that up front, wouldn't you say, by you know, analyzing your investment opportunity before you make the plunge, making sure that you're aware of everything. You know, um as as people start, you know, starting to build wealth and if you think about this demographic we have of millennials now, the and the 26-year-olds are the largest single age demographic there are even though they're saddled with all of this student loan debt because they were convinced that they had to go to college, they're still starting you know, families now, they're getting married, and they're wanting to move forward into real estate investment. So, you know, when we start thinking about real estate investment, what are the types of real estate investment that we can get involved in? Right. And Heather, you make a great point that the, the fastest growing demographic for buying properties, according to the Wall Street Journal, are the millennials which I thought was fascinating because in my opinion, you know, from what I read, they're the ones that really don't want to be saddled with a property and, and raking leaves and cleaning gutters. And so I'm really surprised that's our, our growing, um, you know, customer are the millennials. Um, so as far as options go, yeah, there's a lot of things that they can buy. If you want to invest in real estate, you can do a multifamily property, which could be an apartment building. It can be a, uh, a single family fixer upper. Um, and, and to me, it's really about, Figure out where, where you want to be, you know, whether it be in the city, an urban environment, or a suburban environment. But yeah, many, many options for real estate investors. I'm happy to cover any any one you want to talk about. Well, I know, for example, here in Arizona, we've got tons of urban infill and everybody's scraping, you know, either small multifamily or they're even scraping some small retail centers and they're at, they're going vertical with a lot of this townhome or condo style living, but they are for sale like they used to be on the East Coast. Growing up here, you only ever rented an apartment. I, the first time in New York, I'm like, you can buy apartments? I had no idea that apartments were for sale, but now it's commonplace here. And it's for, for Arizonans and, and Phoenicians, it's preferred because they don't want to mow the lawns. They don't want a big yard to take care of, and they want to be able to walk. They're much more, you know, fuel and energy and environment conscious. So they don't want to drive anywhere. Now you can rent a bike here in Arizona with your phone app and you just hop on a bike and you can ride 
ride it and then leave it. It's like, it's like ride sharing Uber for bicycles. It's really a cool thing that they have here now. And so given that, you know, that, that vertical living is an easy choice. One of the things that I've always taught, and it's how I started out was to buy a small fourplex because you can go with FHA financing. So if you live in one of the three or four units in multifamily, you can go FHA. That's three and a half percent down. You don't have to save that big 20% down. Right. And that's still an attractive play. And I'm asked that quite often by younger couples. Should we buy a property, you know, live in one half and rent the other half? But the, the realities of that are not that great because then you're the landlord that lives on the property. And things are going wrong with the property. People come down and knock on your door or come up and knock on your door. You're, you literally can't get away from your tenant. So that has some practical um, practical roadblocks for a lot of people that, that buy those properties. But I would say that you know, investing in condos and planned communities, you know, HOAs is a good a good move because within a planned community, like you mentioned, Heather, the grass is mowed for you, the snow is plowed for you, the you know, the uh, sidewalks are power washed by the by the HOA or by the management company. But the thing to watch out for with condos and HOAs is that they have monthly fees or or assessments, which can go up, but they never go down. So you're not only paying your mortgage and your insurance and your taxes, but you're paying the, the HOA or condo assessment fees, which can be considerable in the nicer properties. Well, and you know, Arizona is land of the homeowner association communities. And I remember about 20 years ago, you know, it, it got pretty heated at one and a guy came and shot people at his HOA meetings. And one of the things that a lot of people don't think about is when you look at an investment and you make an assessment, you have to add that HOA payment into your housing ratio when you're applying for financing. And I've seen people who could afford right. a particular monthly mortgage payment, be, but because the HOA payment was two, three, five hundred $500 a month, it knocked them out of their qualifying ratios. And so I know that just from a, yep. a financing and an investment perspective, that can, that can often make a property unattractive or unachievable from an investment standpoint oh. when, when you're carrying a, a big bunch of financing on it. Oh, very, very much so, Heather. And what happens is with, with condo and HOA assessment fees, they, they go up and they go up unpredictably. And on top of that, they have what's, what's known as a special assessment, which is something that associations do rather often where there's not enough money in the budget for whether it be snow removal, you know, on the East Coast, or a capital improvement, you're replacing the pool or replacing roofs, and they, they take that cost, divide it by the owners, and then whammo, you're hit with a, at times, a $10,000 special assessment on top of your you know, your monthly fees. So it can be um, very onerous. Well, yeah, and depending on how it's written into the deed restrictions, I mean, not that they want to evict you, but if they were willing to assume the first and any second mortgage, they could accelerate it and actually foreclose on you, right? I mean, I, mean, I know they can do that here. Yeah. Yeah, no, they can. I mean, if you're if you're the owner and you're not paying your fees and you're delinquent, yes, they can they can evict your tenant and foreclose on the unit. It happens all all the time. So, what can you do uh, to mitigate that? Is there another type of property that you should be considering? You know, because of the volatility or variability of that. What else? What would be better for somebody who <laughs> wants to right. start investing? Let's let's kind of go from that perspective. Right. So, so there's really two main categories of real estate investment. 
the one is you you hold you buy the property and you hold it and you lease it out. So you're the landlord and you have tenants and you have cash flow and, and rental income from that from that process. Or as is popular popularized on TV, you buy the property, fix it up, and flip it and make your profit from the sale. So I think the starting point for any investor is to determine do I want to hold it and be a landlord or do I want to buy a you know underappreciated asset? improve it and sell for a profit and, and be done. Mm-hmm. Well, there are tax ramifications that are different depending on the different type, right? Oh, very much. Yeah, very much. Um, it depends, again, how you how you buy the property and how the property is titled. If you buy it as, as an individual versus husband and wife, or you buy it as an LLC or a legal entity, they're, they're treated different and they're handled differently. Yes. You are listening to Scott Rydenback on Unlock Your Wealth Radio and Unlock Your Wealth Live here on our Facebook fan page. So what would be the benefit of buying a property by myself, keeping it in my own name versus setting up an LLC? Or or is it not advantageous? What would be better for me personally or to have it through a company? Right my, my belief and my, my opinion, Heather, is it's better to form a legal entity of some kind. E- even if you're a first-time investor and even if you're buying a small little property, it, it's not that it, it's very easy to form uh, an LLC, for example, or a legal entity and, and buy it in the name of that entity. Because, you know, even if you have insurance and you have good insurance, you know, God forbid someone's fatally injured on your property, they're coming after, you know, the property owner. Um, but the LLC does give a you know a good measure of legal protection for liability at least, um, and also from creditors. Meaning, if if personally you fall into hard times and you have a lot of creditors, you know that investment property is now part of your 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 assets that can be attached by creditors. So in an LLC, it has more protection from from creditors. So so if 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 somebody's coming after me personally, they can't access my LLC. To go after those assets, is that what you're saying? They they they, they really shouldn't be able to because the the, the asset is in the name of an LLC. It's not under your personal name, and you know if someone has a judgment against Heather, that judgment is not against the LLC. And as as you know, you can only execute upon assets in the name of the of the the debtor, not their other you know, companies, partnerships, or or business ventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's actually really important. So, um, so when you deal with, you know, a buy and hold where you're leasing the property out um, versus like raw land where you just buy it and hold it, or doing the um, fix and flip thing, how are you taxed on an entity when you have income from the property as in like rents, if you're collecting rents, that's just, that's income for the property, correct? Right. So, so your question is if you, if you buy and hold a property as, as an LLC, how how is that taxed differently than if you bought it as an individual? There's really, and, and again, I'm not an accountant, so this is my, my legal answer, but there's really no, there's really no difference because, you know, most LLCs, and, and again, I speak from Pennsylvania, they're, they're pass-through entities. They're, they're taxed to you as a pass-through. Um, it, there's no, um, you know, there's no um, different tax report or tax um, form filed. It's on your personal taxes. 
And so what you can do is depreciate the asset, but, and, and there's no income. Well, the, the rental payments are income, um, but you're really only getting hammered on that when you sell the property, you know, down the road and it depends on how long you, you own the property is, is taxed differently. Um, but, you know, it's funny, I rarely have clients ask me about the tax impact or implications about investment properties. It, it, to me, Heather, it's, it's more often than not almost an emotional decision to become an investor, right? It, well, it's part yes. of the strategy, but, it, but it's, it's emotional. It's something that people, they're on vacation somewhere and they see a lovely part of town. They say, honey, we should buy something here. It's either a great college town. So most people that invest, it's an emotional connection with a part of the country or a certain property. And, you know, finances be, be damned. It's really emotional <laughs> or emotionally. Well, you right? know, let's, let's be honest. Well, yeah. I mean, we always know whether it, it's cars or houses or just, you know, crap at the store. We buy on emotion and use reason and logic to justify our decisions after the fact. We, we figure out a way to, to make it make sense for us. And then, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, about 10 years ago, you know, when I started um, really defining my real estate practice, I said, I only want to work with investors. And one one of the biggest hurdles was when you know you would take and find a property that met their financial criteria to accomplish their personal goals which i'd want them to be emotional about hey let's buy a property now and, and you know in 5 10 years you'll not only have income but you'll have hopefully capital appreciation that'll help you pay for your kids college and those are the emotional hot buttons i want to be pushing to get them to say yes but then you show them the property and they're like i don't know about that lime green shag <laughs> and you're like it doesn't matter you're not living here but they get engaged. It's so funny that you bring up the emotion part of it because they do. They get engaged in the wrong part of it. <laughs> they should be excited and engaged in the money part of it because there's no point in doing it if it's not going to be profitable. But now I'm talking crazy logic stuff. I know that. Well, I know. But hey, listen, most, most successful investors are very, you know, very dispassionate. They're, they're about the numbers because- Listen, more often than not, it doesn't make sense to invest in real estate in, in a lot of situations because you're, you're making that emotional decision or that 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 um, you know that that spur of the moment decision. But the smart people, you know, really crunch the numbers and make it you know as unemotional as possible. But that's not your average um, in, investor in real estate. I see more of the opposite. Yeah, well, you know, one of my keys in my keys to riches financial philosophy is take emotion out of the picture. And it's not about eliminating emotion, but but be, you know, passionate and excited, but keep them in perspective. You know, you want to be excited about the prospects of generating money and not just for the sake of money, but for what it's going to do for you. You know, it's going to help create a retirement plan for you. It's going to help create college income, you know, to help support your children or whatever. You know, so so we I try to keep them excited, but I try to channel it in the right directions. And so when someone comes to me and they say, I want to get started in real estate, I heard you're the go-to girl, but I have like $5,000. I don't have that much to get started, but I really want to get started. And so we talk about, okay, so do you have friends or other people that might be interested, that might be able to match funds with you, that may want to invest with you? And they say, uh, well, I don't know. Do we take on partners to get started? And if so, what do we want to look for when qualifying a partner to begin real estate investing with? Right. I almost always 
discourage people from having investors and partners in in real estate unless it's a large commercial transaction which is a you know a multi-million dollar endeavor because you're right a lot of people come to us and say hey I'm, me and my my friend or my roommates and i or my my, my sister and i want to buy a property at, at the shore or in downtown philadelphia and i mean heather here are the challenges and, and i think you know this but just for your your listeners and viewers if you buy a property with other people you're not always in, in lockstep at the same time in year one and year two and year three because someone's financial situation is going to change and they want out um, or they want to have more of a say in how things are being handled or, or improvements to the house that should be made or should not be made. It's, it's hard. It's like a marriage. It's, it's a really hard <laughs> relationship. And you're now, you're now combining – you're not combining money with an investment with friends, and that's that's a tough recipe uh, to manage all three of them successfully at all times. So, you know, if you really need the money to make this thing work, I'd I'd rather just have someone get a loan and, and borrow the money, but not take on partners and investors. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much for being a part of Unlock Your Wealth today. And are there any parting thoughts you might have for those who've stopped by to give the show a listen? You know, I, I do actually. I I clearly I love real estate. I'm very passionate about it. I think it's a great a great thing to add to your portfolio. And as I mentioned, if it doesn't go well, you can always get out and, and always sell. But um, if you find the right property and, and go with the right mindset, it's um it can be very rewarding and very profitable. Outstanding. Well, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. And for those of you listening in Radio Land, never fear. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is here. So if you're driving around without a pencil, you can visit his show page and get Scott's linky links to his website and so much more. For the maestro of moolah back there, Michael Terry, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2018 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com. 